Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. Thanks, Mark, and thanks, Sue, for having us. Um, Peter and I love your pastors. We love Mark and Sue, and you are really blessed. We get around to a lot of churches and just saying, you're lucky ducks. Okay, that's not very spiritual, is it? I think you're lucky ducks. Um, Yeah, so last week um, Peter spoke from the previous passage, so we've looked at the passage, um, we've had it read to us so beautifully. Um, It's really, we we love coming to to Windsor Road, we feel really at home here. Um, We've had long association with a number of people who come here. Uh, It's lovely to be here with when Peter and Jane are here too, and to see Sam on the drums is really special. Peter, my Peter married Peter and Jane, so yeah, it was a very special wedding. Um, so thank you for having us. Last week Peter was here and he spoke from the previous passage in Luke 10 where Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And the concluding sentence of the Good Samaritan story is Jesus saying, go and do likewise. And when he says that, he's referring to the mercy and the help um, shown by the Samaritan man as an example of loving your neighbour as yourself. And Jesus confirmed that this was uh, one of the two greatest commandments. And in his message last week, Peter suggested that our attitudes and our actions reveal the truth about our professed love for God. And he reminded us that the way we show love for our neighbours should reveal the depth of our love for God. And your church, he spoke about your church last week, um, your church has a strong reputation for doing just that. And you have people within your congregation, Leanne and Bob, Um, amazing reputation for doing just that, showing love for your neighbours. But now in today's passage, uh, it seems that I think Jesus has shifted our attention not to the second part of the two great commandments, but to the first of the two great commandments, and that was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. And the story that unfolds here is one of my very favourite stories in all of the Bible. And um, when I saw the passage that Mark had given me, I was like, yes, I really love this passage. Because it gives a wonderful illustration, I think, of this um, part of the Great Commandments. And in many ways, it balances the preceding uh, parable that, that Peter preached on. Luke's unfolding of this story right after the Good Samaritan parable, I don't believe in any way is a coincidence. Nothing in the Bible is a coincidence. But I think um, it's important because in, in a way to view the Good Samaritan parable in isolation is actually uh, can be a dangerous thing. Because if we do that, uh, we risk thinking that if someone is good to others, then of course they'll be accepted by God. So the story of the um, Good Samaritan is one of those amazing um, stories that everybody knows about and it's a wonderful example of being a Christian. It's one of those stories that makes us proud of being a Christian. It's like, you know, we really love the Salvos because they make us look good, you know, in public. We, we're really happy for what they do um, and this story is one of those. But the way that Luke has weaved these passages together, he's reminding us, I think, in this next story, that it's not enough to simply love others and be good neighbours. Because the truth is, there are many people not of faith who are very kind and they do really good deeds. I grew up not far from here, um, in Baden, 
And the neighbours that we had there were just amazing. They were the sort of people that my dad would describe as they would be prepared to give you the shirt off their back. Uh, but most of them were not believers. Some of them actually came to know the Lord later in life, which was wonderful. But I think we all would know people like that. Um, and sadly, many, many lovely people reject uh, any personal need of God because they are basically lovely people. They're basically good. And subliminally, I think they've actually adopted some sort of an idea of karma, even if they don't really think that way. Um, but they've adopted this attitude of, well, what what comes around goes around, what goes around comes around. And so if I'm good to people, um, basically good will come to me. And if there is a God, um, they don't think there is necessarily, but if there is then surely the good that I've done will be acceptable to him and he'll accept me because of that. But that attitude, um, if we have that attitude, it actually makes us God because it makes us decide for ourselves what is necessary, what is good and what is enough. And that's not um, how God sees it. And there are others, I think, who, who believe in God. They definitely believe that there's a God. But they've even con convinced themselves that um, they are working for God but for all of their good deeds, again, if we, we just think that good deeds are enough, for all of their good deeds, the truth is they have never actually really come to know God or surrender their lives to him. And in that way, God doesn't know them either. Uh, to these people, Jesus offers a very stern warning. Now, this is one of the most frightening passages, I think, in all the Bible. In Matthew seven twenty one. he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? These people did amazing things. But then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And I think that's a really frightening passage. And again, if we take the um, story of the Good Samaritan on its own in isolation, there is a danger for us to think that what we do will be good enough for us to be with God eternally. And so the important message here is that doing good deeds in our own strength will always fall horribly short. And what God requires of us is to do his will and not what we think is good or what he wants us to do. And we're only going to really know what God's will for us in our lives is when we start personally experiencing his work of grace in our hearts. And it's only then that we can hope to effectively do his will and minister the life-saving grace that he wants us to do. But the story um, that I want to focus on in our passage today is the one about Mary and Martha. So there's a few little caveats in our, in our passage today, but it's Mary and Martha that I really want to look at. They were sisters. Uh, they lived in Bethany. That was about three kilometres from Jerusalem. Their brother, Lazarus, was the one that Jesus raised from the dead. Um, and these were good friends of Jesus. And so through their story, I guess what I want to look at today is that the priorities in our life reveal the true depth of our love for God. You know, priorities are important for any adult in life. Um, it's one of the things that kids get away with. They don't necessarily... We tell them what their priorities are and they've just got to do it. But when we grow up, 
We've got to work out our own priorities. And I'm constantly forced to work through my priorities. There are um, always multiple competing demands on my time and energy. Peter and I both have um, jobs that we work at. Uh, but we also have two grandchildren that live with us during the week uh, because they go to uni close to us and they live uh, a bit of a distance away. So they're a priority for me as well. So I'm always working on what my priorities are. And um, I can get very distracted uh, by the many opportunities for action. There's always something that we can be involved in. And so at the start of each week, and then again every morning, I take the time to think through and write out my priorities. I need to do that. And so I sit at my desk and I do that. Many of you will do the same thing, I'm sure. And um, I've been working very closely with the new federal government. They've been very keen to start out working with groups such as myself. And I know that they too are laying out their priorities for this three-year term. And they really want to be at the end of the three years that people have been able to look at their priorities that they've um, done and they think, okay, they've ticked them off and we will uh, vote for them again. They've started announcing their priorities and to people like me, they have met with me and said, um, listen, the religious discrimination bill, for instance, is a priority for us, but not this year. It will be next year. Um, we're, looking at doing, we're looking at that next year. This year, what we really want to focus on is um, fulfilling that promise that we uh, gave to uh, establish a national commission um, into integrity. So that they want to do that in 2022. And so they are working out their priorities. Um, I've already met with the MICA group. It was lovely to hear from Jackie and it was very moving. But um, people like Matt Davis, Matt Davis and um, Tim Costello and I have met with them to talk about their promise to move people who are on temporary protection visas to some sort of permanency. Um, so we've already met with them and they've told us that that's one of their priorities as well. But more importantly than our personal priorities, and more importantly, far more importantly than the government's priorities, we need to consider what God's priorities are. And the fact is, without even realising it, there's a temptation for us to think or even to act as if God is more concerned about what we do for him than what we do with him. And in this story featuring Mary and Martha, um, who I just love, both of them, we are very clearly reminded that what we do with Jesus is much more important than what we do for Jesus. And that's not to say that what we do is not important. Um, what Jackie is, has, is doing with Micah, for instance, so important. And, and as I said, the story of the Good Samaritan is that one of those stories that uh, show us what it is to be Christ-like. And as the people of God, we are called to care for the vulnerable. And we see that right through, we see it through the Old Testament, um, the commands as well as the teachings of Jesus and the instructions given to the New Testament church. We have been called to be the hands and feet of Jesus over and over again. But the story of Mary and Martha makes it clear that before we can represent Jesus as we should, imitating him in our caring ministry, our priority must be for ourselves to spend time with him, learning from him, and growing in our relationship with him. And so Luke unfolds this story of the two sisters. They clearly loved Jesus and wanted to please him, both of them. And Mary, we're told, sat at Jesus' feet listening to all he said. This position was a normal position for the disciples to sit at Jesus' feet. 
and the disciples were men. And so um, it actually was uh, quite a challenge to cultural perceptions and norms for the day for a woman to be sitting at Jesus' feet. But Mary did this a number of times. This is not the only time that we find her in this posture. She's found at Jesus' feet at least on two other occasions in the book of John. And I'm so encouraged um, personally that Jesus welcomed women at his feet to study and learn. Um, I'm often told... Uh, by people who want to reject Christianity, that the Bible is a patriarchal book and it oppresses women, and I say to them, nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible is actually a revolutionary um, book in its treatment of women, and it treats women as equals, and that reflects the heart of God in the Bible. So I'm very encouraged by that. So Jesus is, Mary is at Jesus' feet, She's drinking in all that he has to say. And Martha, on the other hand, we're told, was distracted by all the preparations that have to be made. I think that we all would know very clearly, especially the mums and the women in the group, because we're often the ones doing the preparations. Isn't it annoying when men think they do the barbecue, but we do all the preparations before the barbecue? Like, I find that, no, okay. Sometimes, maybe there's some really good men in here to do all the preparations as well. <laughs> men are always so proud of themselves when they do the barbecue but often it's been the women um, Martha's problem was not her preparations they were necessary and they were actually a wonderful opportunity to serve others I'll have a whole group of people at my place tonight for dinner and I'm looking forward to doing that preparation and it's part of my service to them but when she came to Jesus to complain about her sister's apparent lack of contribution to the tasks at hand, which can be annoying, Jesus tenderly said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. And the reason why this passage is one of my favourite passages in the Bible is because I know that when, um, when Jesus talks to somebody, he's not just talking to Martha, he's talking to me. And so over and over in my mind, as I've read this passage many times in the years, I don't read Martha, Martha. I read, Wendy, Wendy, you are worried and troubled about many things. And so I want you to, to put your name in there too. And maybe you're one of these people who is good at putting off all your worries onto the Lord. But I know that I'm not. And so it, this passage often comes to my mind because of that. It just has some, something that has stuck in my mind. Wendy, 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 you are worried and troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary, and that is actually to come to Jesus, to listen to him, to learn from him, to know him. And so the word worried is an interesting word. And so when we say, Wendy, Wendy, you are worried about many things, um, it is something that Jesus really warned about. And so we're just going to look at a few times when Jesus talked about the word worried because I think it's important. So in Luke 8, 14, we find um, this Jesus' parable of the seed and the sower, the sower and the seed. And he talks about the seed, uh, which is the word, and it fell on different kinds of ground. Now, one lot of the seed that fell on the ground, um, the thorns, it's that one where we read about the thorns quickly growing up, and it, we're told that it choked the life out of the plant as soon as it began to grow. And when Jesus explained this part of the parable, he explained that those thorns represent the cares or the worries of life. And so clearly, for us, 
in that parable, worry and, and any sort of frantic activity that we may do can actually prevent the word of God from taking root. And so no wonder Jesus said, Martha, Martha, Wendy, Wendy, you are worried and troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary because he knows that the word of God can't even take root and grow successfully in our hearts when we are worried because the worry are the thorns that choke out the very word of God that will give us life and will actually give us freedom from our worry. Then in Luke 12, 22 to 26, Jesus warned his disciples of the challenges that would inevitably come for him, for them. And I, and I believe that we are in a time when there are also troubles um, that are coming to us. There are challenges to our faith. There are challenges from different people who don't uh, understand even our love. Um, and Jesus said, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry do not worry about how you'll defend yourselves or what you'll say. Because again, Jesus knew that worry will always rob us of our peace. Wendy, Wendy, you've lost your peace. And Jesus is the Prince of Peace. You're worried. And then in Luke 10, um, 22 to 34, Jesus again warned about the futility of worrying about the temporal things of life. Because the things that consume us with worry, and this is something real for us, I think, even today, because, you know, the inflation rate's going up, the mortgages are higher, just buying groceries is higher. But even there, the very things that we need and that mean so much to us, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, you're not to worry about these things. And the truth is that what we worry about often is where our true treasure lies because that's where our mind goes to over and over again. When we worry about temporal things, this actually again prevents us from entering the kingdom of God. And this is such a big contrast to what the Apostle Paul taught us about our... And we do have an, uh, a natural inclination to worry, I think. And in Philippians 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The words of Jesus to busy, busy Martha, um, challenged the priorities of her life. But you know, it's really hard for me to think poorly of Martha. I think she was actually a bit of a champion. She had a very important guest. And I reckon I'd be very stressed myself. Um, but I think it's very clear that, in, that her busyness in itself, in and of itself, wasn't wrong. But the problem was that it caused her to be resentful of her sister and she lost her peace. And service, her service had become her first priority and rather than that understanding and knowledge of growing in the Lord Jesus. And even in our service, that can be a growth time for us in loving and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. We don't have to be stopped and sitting at, um, at the side of our bed and reading our Bible. We can be learning and growing, but she had lost that 
because she was resentful. And what was true for Martha is also true for many of us who are doers by nature. We can fall victim to the temptation of being so busy uh, doing stuff for Jesus and for others that we switch around our priorities and our relationship with Jesus at best um, gets the leftovers. Mary and Martha remind us that we must take in of Jesus before we can minister effectively for Jesus. And to effectively serve others with the life and love of Christ, we actually can only give what we have first received. In John 15, 5, Jesus was the one who said, without me, you can do nothing. And I think um, for me, few things have been um, more damaging to my Christian life as me trying very hard to work for Jesus without spending time with him. When we get our priorities wrong, when we reverse the proper order, our, our service can actually end up becoming an idol because it's what we are living for. Instead of living for Jesus, we find ourselves living for our service and finding our identity there rather in, than in Christ. And at the same time, this passage is certainly not a left, let off for us um, from service because God's desire, he makes it clear over and over again, uh, his desire is for us to serve, to serve him and to serve others. And Jesus himself demonstrated this over and over again. We could go on and on about how many times Jesus served others and called others to be the servants. So it's not a matter of either or, but rather I think it does come back to our priorities Clearly, from Jesus' perspective, his desire, as he spoke to, to Martha at that time, his desire was that we, we prioritise our relationship with him above everything else. But then our devotion to him should result in service for him. And that's the order that will end unnecessary worry for us. Because if we're worried about what we're going to do, um, then that's, that's a worry. But if we're serving Jesus and he is the one who's directing our service, it removes unnecessary worry. I think also if we find ourselves, as Martha did, criticising others and pitying ourselves because we're overworked and they're doing nothing, and I have been there, but when we find ourselves in that position, it's pretty clear um, it's a pretty clear sign that we need to pause and examine our lives and priorities because it shows, I think, that in all of our busyness, we've been ignoring the source of our peace, and that's Jesus. So Martha's problem was not that she had too much work to do. Her problem was that she allowed her work to distract her and actually pull her apart from Jesus. She lost her peace. She was actually serving um, two masters. Warren Wearsby, in commenting on this passage, he said, if serving Jesus makes us difficult to live with, then something is terribly wrong with our service. I think that's a really good quote. You know, um, Peter and I spent many years in pastoral ministry. And in pastoral ministry, you have people, there's a lot of stuff that goes on for people like Mark and Sue that none of you will ever know because it's done privately. But you have people who come to you um, with some huge problems, some serious problems. And one of Peter's first questions always was, how is your devotional life with Jesus? And almost without fail, 
The answer was, it's almost non-existent. So I think an important question um, for us to consider is if we feel that we've gotten our priorities out of whack, if we're finding it easier to do things for Jesus rather than spend time with Jesus, then where do we turn to realign our priorities? And again, Luke's flow in the writing of this gospel is so helpful because the solution to our priority problem is found in the very next narrative. And he goes on, Luke 11, and he goes on with um, the prayer. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And then it goes on, give us each day our daily bread. So Jesus' um, disciples had been with Jesus. Um, they had heard him pray. Uh, but they recognised that if they were to truly know and love God themselves, they needed to learn to pray themselves. So they asked Jesus to teach them. And this was obviously a very uh, important priority for them. And the, the prayer... That, they, that Jesus taught them to pray, again, is an indication of priorities. Prayer is where, our, is where our hearts and our minds are drawn into the very heart of God. And it's the place where we learn the heartbeat of God. And it's where we find a clearer understanding of the will of God. I like to pray sometimes with my Bible open so that I feel like I'm taking in of God and at the same time talking to God so that I get the answers from his word. As Jesus teaches his disciples, and through this passage he teaches us as well, obviously, how to pray, he, he again outlines, I think, what the priority of, the, um, of our prayers should be, what the primary focus should be. Our focus, right at the very beginning, is to be on the glory and the honour of God's name and the ushering in of his kingdom, his sovereign reign over the lives of, of all people. And so this is where we will find our true peace. But as members of God's kingdom, he's profoundly concerned for us as well. And so there is a priority of God, this is all about your glory, this is about your kingdom, this is about us knowing you and entering into your kingdom. But then we are encouraged to bring our petitions before him. We're encouraged to ask for our daily needs. They matter. And the passage that follows goes on to encourage us to be persistent in our asking and how much God wants to answer our prayers. So he wants us to be persistent. He wants us to ask for what we need. But I think the prayer also just indicates to us again, once again, how important our priorities are and what the priorities are that God would have for us in our lives. And in exactly the same way, Jesus wanted Martha to get her priorities right and so he instructs us through this prayer to be deeply and personally engaged with God. Wesley wrote a hymn um, about it, about this story and I love how he expressed it because he involves the two aspects and he says, I still would choose the better part to serve with careful Martha's hands and loving Mary's heart. And so there's both those aspects, but I think for me, the passage speaks to me and says, Wendy, Wendy, you are so often worried and troubled by many things, but only one thing is truly necessary, and that is 
my relationship with Jesus, my relationship with God. And I, I hope that this passage has encouraged you this morning to realign your priorities as it has me and does over and over again. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.